Time for the January 20th, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on International Fetish Day what? from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kespar. And, as always... George Santos' ex-boyfriend, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> yes, Mahler. Today, we'll be talking about floating farms, near-rectilinear halo orbits, compressed air energy, your husband, the polar bear, and many other fascinating things. But first... Mm-hmm. Do you like the UCI anteater mascot, Mike? I am on the campus of UCI. Yes. I've never liked the anteater mascot. No. His name is Peter. Peter. Okay. The anteater. Mascots are generally pretty lame. There's a few that are pretty good. Mascots. Now, we don't appreciate the use of the word lame. Okay. Okay, pardon me. They're not as exciting as I think they are intended to be. Yeah. Okay. And for me, the anteater has never really been the thing I was hoping it would be. You had expectations for the anteater? Well, when I heard that the mascot was the anteater, actually, no, I had no expectations at uh-huh. that point. And you were expecting the anteater to be something well, more... It, 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 it lived up to the very limited expectations that I had for it. It was sloth-like, maybe? I just, I, I don't really... First of all, sometimes I believe the intent of a mascot is to instill some general sense of fear in your opponents, in your people you're playing against. And the anteater doesn't do that at all. But do you know anteaters fight to the death? Do they really? Yeah. Oh, they're well, attacked. Please, they fight edu- to the death. educate me, please. Okay. Well, the character was taken from a comic strip called B.C., Remember that? I do remember yeah. that, yes. And it went, the little anteater went zot. Zot? Zot it, is the cheer here. Yeah, okay. Got it. It was voted in in 1965. There were only like 1,000 votes total for the whole campus. Okay. But there were uh, other subsequent uh, recall elections because the administration didn't like it at all. One of the few times I would yeah, side with the fact, administration. Yeah, in fact, I was involved yeah. in one of the uh, recall elections. Were you? So yeah. you would have made... made uh, uh, a good administrator back then uh-huh. because you probably felt the way they did. They uh-huh. wanted to be inspired in the 1950s sense of yeah. inspiration. Yeah. And yeah. those who were coming of age in the 60s yeah. thought all that kind of stuff was yeah. baloney. Yeah. The other choices, by the way, when it was first voted on was bison. Would you have wanted to be a bison? Bison's better. Bison's better. I like really? bison. I like this bison. Big I, bearded. I like bison. Yeah. 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 I do like them. Seahawks. Not too bad. Centaurs. Mm. Toros. You mean bull? Toros? Uh huh. Okay. Roadrunners. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And none of these. That was my favorite. <laughs> I think I would want to be the UCI none of these. In a 1999 interview with the Washington Post, Johnny Hart who wrote the B.C. comic strip, said that Jews and Muslims who don't accept Jesus will burn in hell, and that homosexuality is the handiwork of Satan. So UCI's anteater was inspired by, uh, what would you call this guy, a A racist? A homophobic racist? A bigot? Bigot? Yeah. Yeah, I think those are good words. Now, with all of the 
correctness and wokeness going on. Yeah. My suggestion is dump the anteater because of this. It, it hurts me, actually. Yeah. It hurts me when I hear this stuff. Yeah. Because you know how anti-Christian I am. <laughs> I do know. When I hear this stuff about, you know, this born-again yeah. goofus yeah. who is the inspiration for yeah. our mascot, yeah. it hurts me deeply. Mm-hmm. Yes. I agree with you. Uh, I agree. Down with the anteater. Down with the anteater. Yeah. <laughs> Hoist the anteater by its own tongue. <laughs> yes. From Cosmos magazine, scientists have discovered that echidnas, uh, that's the spiny anteater, not the giant anteater as, we, as the UCI racist anteater is. <laughs> the spiny anteater blows not bubbles to keep themselves cool in the hot weather. Echidnas blow bubbles from their nose, which burst over the nose tip and wet it. As the moisture evaporates, it cools their blood, meaning their nose tip works as an evaporative window. That's cool. Yeah. And these scientists were thinking, well, we, we know this about them. They might survive climate change. It's yeah, a good thing. You kind of turned me around on anteaters there. Well, maybe you want them to be your mascot. I'm starting to think about it. You might be Keep right. Keep in mind that racist stuff. Yeah. There. Well, yeah. Do you use many dairy products? Cheese is about it. Cheese? I, I do like cheese. You eat a lot of cheese? I like my baby Swiss. I know. I've heard about the baby Swiss. Yeah, you know thing, how I love baby Swiss. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are other cheeses, probably very tasty and, and delightful. Uh-huh. But I landed on baby Swiss because it's not really Swiss. It's not. It's sometimes Swiss can be a little aggressive for my taste buds. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. But this one. It's a milder Swiss. It, it falls right in that comfort zone for me. From the Guardian, a high-tech micro dairy in Rotterdam called Floating Farm. That's in the Dutch province of uh, South Holland there, Rotterdam. Hmm is helping rethink agriculture in the age of climate change. Peter and Minky Van Wingerden, a husband and wife team, are experimenting with a modernist structure that houses 40 cows who collectively produce some 200 gallons of milk a day. Their floating farm is part of the global conversation about how the climate crisis is pushing farmers to reconsider how and where they produce food. Floods, extreme heating, mega droughts, and rising temperatures have sent the food system off its axis and cost the U.S. farm industry alone over $1 billion. So we're getting back here at home just to give you an idea. We're in Rotterdam, though. A former property developer with a background in engineering, Peter found his inspiration for the floating farm on a visit to New York City in the aftermath of 2012's Hurricane Sandy. There he saw how flooding hampered the delivery of fresh food to millions, a problem he was all but certain would become more severe in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So he turned to his expertise in aquatic architecture and created nearly 10,000 square feet of space for cows that floats on water. Wow. If successful, the floating farm would not be vulnerable to rising sea levels or destructive floods. It's very mobile, so it can move around. Mm-hmm. And an urban farm that serves city dwellers also reduces carbon emissions associated with food transportation. Mm. So it's right in the city, in the heart of the city. Floating farms could also take a little pressure off the global land squeeze when a finite amount of land results in an increasing amount of wild terrain being given over to agriculture. Leave it to the Dutch. Yeah. They figured out a way to manage rising sea levels with all the dikes and the way their yeah. system of oh they've figured out a lot of things they're that, 90 feet below sea level yeah it's yeah. amazing in rotterdam yeah it's amazing wow. 
I don't get it. I don't either. Smaller, do you get it? If you'd like to donate to the Citizens Against Anteater Mascots campaign, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Very nice, Mahler. A nice touch that time. Very nice. Mm -hmm. From the New York Times, a suburb with hundreds of homes outside the boundaries of Scottsdale, Arizona, can no longer get water from the city. Earlier this month, Rio Verde Foothills, longtime water supplier, the neighboring city of Scottsdale, turned off the tap for a Rio Verde Foothills, blaming the drought, or more accurately, the aridification that is threatening the future of the West. Mm -hmm. Scottsdale said it had to focus on conserving water for its own residents and could no longer sell water to roughly 500 to 700 homes or around 1,000 people. That meant the unincorporated area of $500,000 stucco homes, mansions, and horse ranches outside Scottsdale's borders would have to fend for itself and buy water from other suppliers God. if homeowners could find them and afford to pay a lot higher prices for the water than yeah. what they were doing from Scottsdale. In a scramble to conserve, people are flushing their toilets with rainwater and lugging laundry to friends' homes. They're eating off paper plates, skipping showers, and fretting about whether they have staked their fates on what could become a desiccated ghost suburb. Nathan, I know you and I have talked about this a thousand times, but I think this is a window into the future for many people in the yeah. West. Now, it seems like most people in this suburb realized that they were buying into the desert, and they so they were keeping it. their ag down low, and right. they weren't wasting water, yeah. but still... From the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. NASA. NASA. announced plans for the Artemis III mission. If everything goes well, we'll see the return of humans to the surface of the moon in 2025. Look. Okay. Human on the moon. The first time humans will be on the moon in over 50 years. Mm -hmm. The location of the planned moon landing is somewhere that humans have never explored before. The lunar south pole. The Artemis spacecraft will take the astronauts to a near-rectilinear halo orbit. Hanging almost like a necklace from the moon, the near-rectilinear halo orbit is a one-week orbit. takes a one week to go all the way around. That is balanced between the Earth's and moon's gravity. This oblong top-to-bottom path around the moon allows it to be constantly in contact with Earth and will eventually be the location of the lunar gateway. So you'll send other spacecraft to this location. That Lunar Gateway will be a new space station that will provide a base for Moon and possibly Mars trips. And with no eclipses there, yeah. the Artemis spacecraft solar arrays will remain in constant sunlight. There you go. The near-rectilinear halo orbit will periodically bring the spacecraft close enough to the lunar surface to provide simple access to the Moon's south pole. The permanently shadowed places at the lunar south pole could contain ice and other minerals, which would be vital resources for future explorers. Four astronauts, four of them, will be sent on this mission. They will launch on top of the massive space launch system in the Orion capsule. A crucial component of the success of the mission is SpaceX's Starship. That would be who? Who Elon. owns SpaceX? Yeah, that would be Elon Musk. Yeah. 
NASA awarded the contract for a lunar lander to SpaceX a few years ago. SpaceX is expected to conduct an uncrewed test on the surface of the moon before it can be used for Artemis III. Nathan, when we went to the moon, uh-huh. when we landed a person who uh-huh. walked on the moon, did you really think that it would be this many years later? I know there were a few other people that landed on, that we put on the moon, but you said almost 50 years. Did you really ever think it would take that long to go back to the moon? Didn't you think? I assume this that, is a rhetorical question. Yeah, I right? mean, I assumed that there would be a, a constant stream of humans walking on the moon after that. Uh-huh. And now we have this several decades gap between when we were walking on the moon and now. Well, it's not like the first man on the moon actually got there by himself. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's kind of silly to say first man on the moon. Well, okay. So because we're all first humans uh-huh. on the moon. Are you asking me a question here? Yeah, I am. I actually don't even know if uh, it's a bad thing that it took this long. Okay. Apparently, we had other things to do. Uh, yeah, it's just at yeah. the time, it seemed like this would be a new normal for humans. to be, That you'd be sending people up to the moon, to the moon all the time? And they were talking about space colonies yeah. and this, that, and the other thing. I just, I just it, to me, it, it's, well, it's I a mean, little bit I surprising. Yeah. Do you mean if somebody asked me a question? Well, if somebody had said to you in 1969, <laughs> after we landed a man on the moon, yeah. that it w- and then there would be a few more. Who would what have- they would say to me is, when do you think they'll land another man on the moon? That's or- what they'd say. And I would say, ah, oh, 50 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Edwin Buzz Aldrin mm-hmm. were the first of 12 human beings to walk on the moon. Yeah. 12. Yeah. 12 human beings in to the walk last, on the moon. In the last 50, 60. I don't know why that amazes years. you so much. Well, it just does. I mean, 63 years later. We had high expectations back then. We were jacked up by John Kennedy. We were in a race. We got there first. That was kind of, if you think about it, the goal. Yeah. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to get to the moon first. After we did that, we believed we had won the space race. Yeah. And that's what it was about back then. Then we went into the 70s. Gas crisis. Yeah. We had other concerns. Yeah. From SciTech Daily, after a long period of relative slumber, the sun is waking up and sputtering with unrest. Experts say the start of the new solar cycle could be roaring in like a lion mm. with impacts here on Earth. Mm. In just the past week, three X-class solar flares, the strongest bracket on the scale, have erupted on the sun's surface. Solar flares are bursts of energy that travel at the speed of light, composed of electromagnetic radiation that can affect radio communication. So we're screwed here at, at uh, KUCI. Yep. This thing blows up. And it's, no, it's never has. It never has. What? It's never blown up? Yeah. It's never, the use, KUCI has never been affected mm. by a solar storm or a solar cycle. How can you say that? You, you know that to be true? Well, have, have you heard about it? You think... In our vast archives, we'd heard something about that, yeah, wouldn't you? I guess you? we would have, yeah. 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 And here it was. We were uh, established at KUCI yeah. the year that we landed on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. So if I you were asked yeah. back in 1969 yeah. if you thought that these solar flares would affect, would affect KUCI in, in the next 50 years, you'd have said... 63 years. Yeah. I would have said for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd have bet money on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does that settle your hash there? Yeah, it does. Yes, it settles my hash, yes. None of these solar flares have been moving toward the Earth so far, but that could change in the weeks ahead. 
The sudden flare-up of activity may also be a sign that experts grossly underestimated how busy Solar Cycle 25, the current iteration of the sun's magnetic rhythm, will be. Some solar physicists have deviated from the consensus expectations, calling instead for a spike of robust storminess on the sun in the years ahead. This new flurry shows those outliers may end up being right. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Mm-hmm. From the American Prospect. The American Prospect. That's a good magazine. Yeah. This is what they're saying. There. Or site. Yeah, it's a magazine. It's I a magazine. Like to call yeah. it a magazine. Yeah, okay. Trump Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow could and should have been the face of our shipping crisis. She's the daughter of the founder of the international shipping company Foremost, which her sister runs. As transportation secretary, she once planned to take her father with her on a diplomatic trip to Beijing, granting him valuable face time with both American and Chinese senior government officials. The supply chain crisis that began under Trump and Chow resulted in massive monetary windfalls for shipping companies. Chow's sister's company, Foremost, doesn't publicly release earnings reports, but profits for dry bulk shipping, which is their specialty, surged during 2021 at one point tripling compared to 2020. Container shipping, meanwhile, saw profits increase by a factor of seven to $190 billion. Yeah. In other words, a crisis that enriched ocean shipping owners and executives started to spiral out of control under the eye of someone whose family are ocean shipping owners and executives. That's what I'm saying. There were grumblings about this several years ago, about the fact that her family was so embedded, so much a part of shipping, and she was the Secretary of Transportation. Uh Lots of people were talking about it, and I think in some ways the whole misugas of the Trump administration had got lost. There were so many examples, Mnuchin, DeVos, so many of them were essentially corrupted. So I'm glad it's getting a little traction now. I hope it, I hope it does. Did you ever live in a granny flat? Uh, yes, I did. A casitas? Yes. Yeah. An accessory dwelling unit? Mm-hmm. We call them ADUs? Yes. Sounds like a uh, contraceptive device, doesn't it? <laughs> it's an ADU. Honey? <laughs> I can't find my ADU. Uh-huh. Where, was it a fun place? It was a nice place because... I was right on the ocean. I was right on the sand. Huntington Beach. Seashore Drive in Newport. Oh, in Newport. It was, oh, above, it was above the garage, 58th yeah. Street, right above the garage. And you literally, the beach, the sand was 15 uh-huh. feet away from the front door. So. so you like sand? I love being by the ocean. Sand yeah. is kind of a pain in the butt. Right now, would you want to be there? No, I wouldn't buy a, a piece of property on that stretch of Newport yeah. or anywhere along the coast in Newport Beach because it's not too distant future. Yeah. We're going to be like the Dutch. From Los Angeles Times, once seen as the death knell for single-family home neighborhoods in California, a new law meant to create more duplexes has instead done little to encourage construction in some of the largest cities in the state. 
That's Senate Bill 9. It was introduced two years ago as a way to help solve California's severe housing crunch by allowing homeowners to convert their homes into duplexes on a single-family lot or divide the parcel in half to build another duplex for a total of four units. The law went into effect at the start of 2022, but across 13 cities in the state, SB 9 projects are limited or non-existent, according to a new study by the UC Berkeley Turner Center for Housing Innovation. The report focused on cities considered high opportunity areas for duplexes. Here's a list of cities okay. I know here that they looked into. Anaheim, Bakersfield, Berkeley, Burbank, Danville, Long Beach, Los Angeles, Sacramento, San Diego, San Francisco, San Jose, Santa Maria, and Saratoga. <laughs> By the end of November, the cities had collectively received only 282 applicants. That's after nearly a year for SB9 projects and had approved only 53. Yeah. This is after, you know, they had this opportunity yeah. to change. It's not a lot of no, change. No, the expectation at the time that it passed was that we'd see them everywhere. Yeah. And I know that within the city of Irvine, where we're broadcasting from, there was a lot of pushback of people in the city yeah. who did not want to see this suddenly become... An, un, an unplanned community. Yeah, an unplanned Hong Kong, if you will, of uh, California. Well, you could the, the potential for just unbridled growth in ways that would have been counterproductive for traffic, for all kinds of things within the city. It did. You're right. It, it doesn't seem to have bridled. Unbridled. It has a bridle on it. Well, I mean, you can yeah. only put up four other units. Yeah. Well, chances are these wouldn't be occupied by more than one or two people each. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah you know, maybe right. three if you yeah. include a child. Yeah, but the, the but a, the homeowners associations in this city, in particular, right. are very, very particular. So I think you'd meet resistance at that level as much as you would anywhere else. Instead, we have homes with twelve or fifteen people living in them. Yes, so yes, that's, and that's these, a lot better. These isn't little it? these little faux mansions all over uh, Irvine. Yeah. No, and I just mean in the regular uh, neighborhoods. Yeah. There'll be a lot of people uh, clustering together there. Yeah. From energy storage news, one of my favorite uh, reading experiences. Oh, it's a page turner. Energy storage news. Mm -hmm. A group of local governments announced it signed a 25-year, $775 million contract to buy power from what would be the largest compressed air energy storage project. This sounds cool. Yeah. The innovative technology, compressed air energy storage, could help California and other states and nations transition from planet-warming fossil fuels to renewable energy without blackouts. It's not a constant source of energy, but it's something that you can use in an emergency. Here's how the $1 billion project in California's Kern County will work. The developer, HydroStore, it's S-T-O-R. Okay will drill three shafts thousands of feet below ground and send down miners to dig out a series of rows and columns. When the project is ready to go in 2028, the underground caverns will have a collective volume equivalent to two football fields about 100 yards high. So a cube of a football field, just about. During times of day when electricity is cheap, like sunny afternoons when California has more solar power than it needs, HydroStore will use that low-cost energy to push air down into the caverns. Hmm. So it'll be pressurized air down there. When HydroStore's customer, Central Coast Community Energy, needs to draw on the stored power on a cloudy day in January, say, 
The company will open a valve and funnel the high-pressure air through a turbine, generating electricity. That's great. <laughs> Except what happens to them when we don't want them anymore? You have holes in the ground. Well, we have a lot of mines now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's a stretch. We're going to have, there are thousands and thousands of, of mines in this country because a lot of it because of fracking now and other reasons. So yeah. I'm not, they're not going to run out of places to do this, I don't think. But it's a facility that's kind of specialized there. Yeah, it's yeah. not like somebody will come along necessarily. I don't know. Maybe somebody will and buy a, a building with <laughs> two football fields worth of uh, it's all hands cubic on, football yeah, fields. Yeah, yeah, well, it's all hands on deck in terms of finding alternatives. Yeah, you're right. You have power. I here. think it's, it's, a, it's a fun concept. Yeah. Uh, they did this in salt mines in some places. <laughs> but here we're digging our own mines. <laughs> One last thing. One source of energy that I think is very promising is this uh, energy that is generated by waves. Uh -huh. You can put a turbine, you know, ecologically speaking, put it in a, the right place. And, but the ocean currents, the ocean waves are constant. Yeah. And they generate a lot of electricity. And there are a lot of people who think that is a very bright future for energy, alternative energy. From the Associated Press, after tidal surges and high winds from the remnants of a rare typhoon caused excessive damage to homes along Alaska's western coast in September, the U.S. government stepped in to help residents, mostly Alaska natives, repair property damage. Residents who opened Federal Emergency Management Agency paperwork, FEMA paperwork, expecting to find instructions on how to file for aid in understandable Alaskan native languages like Yupik and Inupik, instead we're reading bizarre phrases like "tomorrow he will go hunting very early and will bring nothing," <laughs> or "your husband is a polar bear, skinny." Another was written entirely in Inuktitut, an indigenous language spoken in northern Canada, which was far from Alaska. Mm -hmm. FEMA fired the California company hired to translate the documents once the errors became known, but the incident was an ugly reminder for Alaska natives of the suppression of their culture and languages from decades past. For Tara Sweeney, an Inupiaq who served as an assistant secretary of Indian Affairs in the U.S. Interior Department during the Trump administration, this was another painful reminder of the steps taken to prevent Alaska Native children from speaking indigenous languages and even beating the children when they did not comply. Between the U.S. and the Canadians, the Canadians get some really, really low marks for how they've treated indigenous yeah. people, what they've done to indigenous people. It's pretty despicable. From my perspective, I never thought of the Canadians that way, that they would be as brutal and racist as they turned out to be. Well, they're not all that way, Mike. I know they're not you can all be that friends way. with a Canadian. In fact, I would say the majority of Canadians do not want to do anything. I agree with and ugly. Yes, yes. But the history is pretty ugly. All history is ugly. Yeah, you're right. Your history is ugly. It is. There are patches of beauty. <laughs> but generally speaking, you're right. Yeah. 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 Mahler? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From the Hill, the Missouri House of Representatives passed a bill that would restrict women's dress code in the state house, but did not address the dress code for men. The code was updated from 2021 to state that proper attire for women in the house would be jackets worn with dresses, skirts or slacks, and dress shoes or boots, 
requiring that their arms be covered. Because <laughs> you know how those, Tell you those what, bare arms. Show me an elbow. Where is this? Where is this, this happening? Is, this is in uh, Missouri House of Representatives. Oh, God. Uh, do you know what it feels like to have a bunch of men in this room looking at your top, trying to decide whether it's appropriate or not, said Representative Ashley Owen, a Democrat, uh, on the state house floor before going on to criticize the motion as ridiculous. Other Democrats weighed in on Twitter. The caucus that lost their minds over the suggestion that they should wear masks during a pandemic is now spending its time focusing on the fine details of what women have to wear, specifically to cover their arms, said State Representative Peter Meredith. Women hold less than one-third of the state's legislature there, which I guess for Missouri, that's pretty fair considering they're, they're doing this in the legislature. Yeah, well. <sighs> Eventually, the Missouri House passed a modified version of the proposal that permits women to wear blazers, cardigans, and jackets. Oh, so they can wear cardigans. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the big advance yeah, there. Wow. But they still need to cover their arms. <laughs> Jesus. You know, if, if any of the men in Missouri State House had the cojones, yeah. they should dress up in a miniskirt or in a skirt. No, I just blazer. think they, they tear the arms off their uh, sport coats <laughs> there you go. And, their, and their shirts, you know, just <laughs> kind of go in there. and Yeah. I don't know. They didn't say anything about, you know, the the uh, the bosom. The cleavage. The cleavage. The Yeah. Yeah. Oh. They didn't say anything about that. <laughs> I don't think, well, that's where there's a double standard. They, yeah. they probably. Because men uh, probably enjoy yeah, that part. That part. Please. Their arms, not so much. Please. Keep your arms to yeah. yourself. From Insider, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett said the Bible has evidence of UFOs <laughs> and accused the Biden government of a huge cover-up of evidence. He was referencing the recent report delivered to Congress that revealed a significant increase in military sightings of unidentified objects in the sky. Some of these objects were able to be identified as drones or balloons, but there are still 171 unidentified aerial phenomena that have no explanation. Some of them have even been recorded on video showing unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities. When another Congress member questioned Burchett about what he believed the 171 unidentified flying objects could be, Burchett replied, I've been a believer in phenomena for a long time. The first chapter of Ezekiel is pretty clear. And then it's an example of a UFO sighting. And then he cited the King James Version. Tell me more. I, I've got it. Uh, first know. chapter of Ezekiel. Yeah. I saw visions of God, and I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire infolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Well, there you have it. Yep, that sounds like a UFO to me. That sure sounds like a UFO to me, too. Pretty clear. Yep. If you were human and made the turns that have been seen in some of this footage, you would literally turn into a ketchup package. <laughs> That's what he said. I mean, you'd be gone. <laughs> I don't trust the government, Bridget stated. They need to release everything, including if the government possessed an alien craft. I've seen... It's a silly way to handle this. Yeah, though, exactly. To go back to the Bible to prove that there are UFOs. Well, Good God. I know somebody who saw an unidentified flying object. Who's that? Somebody that's 
just very, very close to where I'm sitting. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. Well, I saw something that I couldn't identify. Exactly, exactly. That was huge in the sky yeah. in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. A lot of other people saw it. <laughs> and what the report stated that it was, was not what I saw. Swamp gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I saw. <laughs> We're out here. Anybody with sophisticated, advanced abilities to travel the universe would find us. Either that or when you have the capabilities to travel across the universe, you also have the capabilities to destroy your civilization, yeah. which you usually do. Yeah. From the Washington Post, the U.S. State Department directed staff at home and overseas to phase out the Times New Roman font and adopt Calibri in official communications and memos in a bid to help employees who are visually impaired or have other difficulties reading. Blinken said the shift to Calibri will make it easier for people with disabilities who use certain assistive technologies, screen readers, to read department communication. The change was recommended by the Secretary's Office of Diversity and Inclusion, but the decision has already ruffled feathers among some employees. A colleague of mine called it sacrilege, said a foreign service officer in Asia. Calibri has been the default font for all things Microsoft since 2007, when it stepped in to replace Times New Roman across Microsoft Office. I think that has a lot to do with it, too, because probably many of the assistive technologies at least have Microsoft Office or some type of yeah. uh, Microsoft software on them. What bothered me about this story the most is just the Washington Post reportage of this mm. piece. Mm -hmm. You're talking about fonts, right? Mm -hmm. And in the story itself, I don't know what their font was. Mm. There was no comparison. Isn't that the, what's at stake here? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about comparing two fonts, so whether people like it or not. Right. It's a newspaper. That's how you communicate, with fonts. Yeah. Yet the, the Washington Post just didn't have a simple little... Comparison. A, B, comparison. Yeah, yeah. An alphabet. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Put me in the Times New Roman camp. I am a big supporter of that one, but uh, that's a personal preference. So. Uh, and I was taught yeah. that the reason for serifs is because the line that runs on top, the serif itself, in good legible serif fonts, which Times New Roman is, it runs across the page. Right. So it carries your eye across the page. You know, like when you're in grade school, you mm. have that lined paper. Yes. It would be like putting a little line at the top and the bottom yeah. to create little serifs. Yep. And finally, from NPR, uh, an office within the University of California School of Social Work says it is removing the term field from its curriculum because it may have racist connotations related to slavery. The newly named Office of Practicum I don't know, that sounds a little bit suspicious to me. Of practicum education, formerly known as the Office of Field Education, is making the change in order to be more inclusive, according to a memo sent out to faculty and students this week. Practicum, by the way, is supervised practical application of previously studied theory. Yeah. Sounds a little bit new Latin to me. This change supports anti-racist social work practice by replacing language that could be considered anti-black or anti-immigrant in favor of inclusive language, the memo reads. Uh, yeah, Nathan. It, it brings me back to uh, anteaters. It does. It's a nice yeah. tie into anteaters. You know, 
that that stuff does give me a headache but but then you got to look at ron desantis in florida he's trying to blow up all the ap history classes yeah because they talk about slavery in them we have a spectrum of stupidity here in the country right they're actually trying to well again erase fundamentally erase racism slavery the history of the united states in fundamental ways yeah i guess my point would be Let's just take the word back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's it's a good word. Yes, it is. Yes. I've 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 laid down in many fields. Yes. Our good friend Jake Bacon, who hosted the Buffalo Bayou show here on KUCI, yeah, uh, asked me if the University of Southern California will do something about the potentially harmful racist connotations of the S in USC, Southern. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I find Southern things offensive myself. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, yeah. Wrigley Field will be next. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.